From the Heritage Foundation, this is Heritage Explains. We're all shopping for gifts this Christmas, and if you're anything like me, you too are wondering, what if I wanted to purchase my loved one a partridge in a pear tree? How much would that cost? Well, we know, because of the Christmas Price Index, produced every year since 1984 by PNC Wealth Management. It calculates the cost of all 12 items in the popular holiday song, The 12 Days of Christmas. It turns out that in 2023, a partridge in a pear tree would run you $319.18. Two turtle doves, $250. What if you wanted to hear 12 drummers drumming? Well, that would cost you $3,207.38. In 2019, the full cost of all 12 days of Christmas was estimated at just under $39,000. Today, in 2023, that estimate has risen to just over $46,000. That's more than 15% more expensive. And it's not just swans a-swimming and lords a-leaping that are taking a bigger cut of your earnings this year. Inflation, due to runaway government spending, is making the dollar less and less valuable. And that translates to higher prices for everything, including not only the basics like food and utilities, but also the special stuff we buy around the holidays turkeys, Christmas trees, gifts for family and friends. Here to explain this year's holiday financial squeeze is E.J. Antoni, our research fellow in the Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget here at the Heritage Foundation. E.J. Antoni, welcome to Heritage Explains. Mark, thank you for having me. Well, we are looking forward to a very merry Christmas this year. However, this year is looking a little different, maybe, than previous years, and you are especially adapted to tell us about that difference because you are an economist here at the Heritage Foundation. Is that correct? You are correct. And you know, un- unfortunately, what's, what's different this year is nothing good. It's going to be the most expensive Christmas ever. Wow. Okay, before you tell us about that, can I ask you real quick, how did you wind up studying economics? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it it, it was a, a very very circuitous route. I actually did uh, I did seven years in a in a seminary program, thinking I was going to do some kind of religious life. Obviously, that did not work out. And uh, and then I had to ask myself, okay, what you know, what should I do from from here on out? And I honestly just said, well, I should probably, since I'm a little behind the eight ball, just choose what comes easiest to me, and and that was economics. So the rest is history, I suppose. So what we want to talk about today is how this upcoming Christmas is going to be one of the most expensive on record. Is that the case? Absolutely. It is, unfortunately. And and it's not just the things that you typically associate with Christmas that are going to be so expensive. So you know, wh- whether that's buying a, a Christmas tree, real or artificial, uh, buying toys for the kids, 
uh, you know, airfare and, and gas to, to travel to see family. Uh, you know, you could even look at uh, the, the typical foodstuffs that you buy, whether that's a, a ham or a turkey, you know, you, you name it. All of these things are at or near record high prices. But it's also the fact that everything else we're buying is at or near record prices. And, you know, if prices are rising but wages are rising faster, that, that's not necessarily a problem, right? Because you have – your income is growing even faster than your bills are. So you have more and more left over and you can save more. Uh, you can invest more. There are more things you can buy, again, even though prices are going up. But what we've seen the last two and a half years has been exactly the opposite. For 27 of the last 31 months, annual inflation has outpaced weekly earnings. And so the, the problem there is that you are, you are literally becoming poorer with each month that goes by. And, and that's what we've seen under the Biden administration. Unless uh, the average family has gotten about uh, an $11,000 raise, you're worse off today than you were in January of 2021, because that's essentially how much more you need to make today to afford what you had back then. Wow. $11,000 more. And you mentioned a key term here, which is inflation. And we've seen a lot of talking points about how inflation is a result of corporate greed or other influences within the market. Can you define mm -hmm. for our folks, mm -hmm. like, what mm -hmm. is inflation and is corporate greed the cause for inflation? Sure, sure. So in inflation, there's there's really two different ways to define it. And it basically just depends on whether you want to talk about it in a strictly academic sense or whether you want to use it in, in kind of the the way that it tends to be thrown around in, in the media. the in, in, I guess, the more academic sense, it means that the value of the dollar is going down, so it takes more dollars to buy things. But that's very different than, let's say, uh, the cost of oil all of a sudden goes up because Biden killed the Keystone XL pipeline and revoked all these uh, leases and permits for drilling and did everything else he could to try to reduce the domestic supply of petroleum. So that is going to cause the price of oil to go up. And because energy affects the price of everything we do and everything we buy, that trickles down into higher prices throughout the economy. But that's not the same as the dollar itself losing value, which is what happens when the government spends, borrows, and prints trillions of dollars it doesn't have. It siphons off a portion of the wealth from every dollar that exists into the new dollars that the Federal Reserve creates for Congress to spend. And so that sh that shrinks the value of the dollar. We, we forget that one of the values, I shouldn't say values, one of the uses of money is that it's a measuring stick. Right? It's, it's a tool to measure something, to measure worth, to measure value. I know that I value A more than B if I'm willing to spend more on A than I spend on B. So when you change the size of that, that measuring stick, if you will, you are going to change how many of those measuring sticks it takes to cover a certain distance. It's kind of like if you were to shrink the size of a yardstick, you need more than 100 yards now to cover a football field from end zone to end zone. Right? And so as a consequence of that, when you shrink the dollar, it takes more dollars to buy exactly what it used to buy before for the, for the exact same reason. And, and so we have seen both of those things at play. We have seen the Biden administration have this war on domestic energy, which has increased prices. But we've also seen a Federal Reserve create literally trillions of dollars for Congress to spend. And so both of those have caused prices to go, I mean, just 
stratospheric throughout the economy. We have not seen price increases like this, this fast, in four decades. It's not an exaggeration. You mentioned that a family would need to make $11,000 more now than they would have had to make back in 2020 in order to buy the same amount of goods as they would have then. And that gives us kind of a metric of how much we're talking about. Are there any other metrics that you can use to kind of give a sense of how much the value of our money has changed? Sure. So some of these numbers that get thrown around, we have to remember are averages. And by definition, there are going to be some people better off, there are going to be some people worse off, right? And you know, un unfortunately, with inflation, those who earn less money typically are the hardest hit. And so in these times of inflation, the, the lower class, the you know, lower income earners, they just get crushed. Middle class doesn't do well either. And the only people who, who tend to do okay or get hit the least, I should say, th those are going to be your, your upper income earners. They have incomes that tend to adjust the fastest to inflation. Uh, they tend to have whatever savings they have tend to be investments. So they're going to be in, in equities, things like stocks. They're going to be uh, in, in, um, in real estate, for example. And so those are things that increase very quickly with inflation. Speaking of real estate, if you're one of the poor people trying to buy a home today, for a median price home, we're not talking a mansion here, just the median price home, it's going to cost you more than $13,000 extra a year right now as compared to January of 2021 in, in monthly mortgage payments because your monthly mortgage payment has gone up over $1,000. I mean, people just can't afford a home today. It's absolutely insane. The, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta has a home affordability metric that they use. And they've estimated that in literally only four major metros in the entire country is the median price home affordable. But even, even their definition of affordability, frankly, is a little loose, I think, because it requires the median income earner to devote 30% of his pre-tax, not post-tax, pre-tax income. So what that means is that in not a single major metro area in the entire country can 25%, the traditional metric, can 25% after tax of the median income buy you a median price home today? I mean, it's just the American dream is dead, frankly. And, you know, Joe Biden and, and not just Biden, but all of the, the leftists, the big spenders uh, in Congress killed it. So can you flesh that out for us? How did we get here? Certainly. You know, in, in 2020, the, the government made a lot of mistakes responding to COVID. Um, and, and they ignored a lot of data that was readily available early on. It, it wasn't as if we were just driving fast at night with no headlights. To a certain extent, you could say that was true. But even the, the initial data we had um, out of Italy, for example, one of the first places where we really had a big breakout of COVID, we knew uh, very early on that the elderly, Italy has a disproportionately uh, elderly population, the elderly were heavily affected by this. But the rest of the population pretty much did fine. And so the, we knew that lockdowns were ineffective at slowing the spread. We knew that lockdowns were ineffective in preventing the spread. And we knew that lockdowns not only did not prevent the elderly from getting it, but actually it turned out exacerbated it. Because as soon as this got into a nursing home where we, we decided to, to send COVID positive patients, it spread like wildfire. And so, you know, people like, like Fauci, uh, like Burks, a lot of those advisors that were in the White House at the time were just horrific. And so the, the public response to COVID was equally horrific. Now, because we told people it's illegal for you to go to work, 
the government needed to start cutting them checks because otherwise, how do they pay their rent? How do they pay for groceries, right? It's literally illegal for me to go to work. So that necessitated literally trillions of dollars that the government had to spend and it didn't have the money to do it. So the Federal Reserve created it. Now that was bad, but the problem could have ended there. The problem was that in 2021, under Biden and the liberals in Congress, they continued spending more money, trillions of dollars we didn't have, and what should have been a one-time giant budget deficit that was you know, multi-trillion dollar deficit in 2020, since then has become institutionalized. Because as all of those temporary COVID programs expire, what they're now doing, the liberals in Congress and the president, are simply just replacing that spending with new spending. And the Federal Reserve for a year, another year and a half, essentially, simply decided to continue creating the money that Congress needed. And the result has been inflation. And so to you and I sitting here, that seems like a, a crazy system. But there must be a justification on the other side for why these folks are saying, okay, we should just continue to spend and spend and spend. What's, what's, why doesn't this seem as apparent to them as it does to us? Well, because it's politically profitable for them to continue doing it. You know, we, I, I think we sometimes forget that politicians operate on incentives just like the rest of us do. And the, the fact that, um, you know, the fact that political incentives are, you know, operate the exact same way as any other kinds of incentives, I think helps explain a lot of the behavior of politicians. Their incentive is is not to do what's right unless doing what's right gets them reelected. So as long as their incentives are, are misaligned with what their constituents want, their constituents are going to continue to be unhappy. And I think that's especially true on something like inflation because it's so easy to blame other people. You know, you mentioned earlier how this administration is trying to blame corporations, right? Oh, it's corporate greed that's causing inflation. Mr. President, I would love to know how corporations somehow magically became greedy when you became president. And how when Donald Trump was president, who was supposed to be you know, so much more friendly to corporate, corporate interests, uh, why were corporations not taking advantage of the American people then? Hmm, I wonder. Maybe it's because it doesn't have anything to do with corporate greed. In fact, What's really crazy, Mark, the administration's own data dispels that narrative because going by the, the data published, again, by this administration, since Biden took office, prices that are paid by, uh, by producers, by corporations, by business, right, have actually risen 1% faster than they have for the prices paid by you and I and the rest of the American people for consumer prices. So adjusted for inflation, their profits have actually slightly decreased, not increased over the last of what I think it's uh, the last six quarters. So, you know, this idea that that somehow it's just these greedy businesses gouging consumers, nothing could be further from the truth. And, and the, the administration's own data proves it. You know, another really common talking point is, oh, it was just because of supply chains. You know, supply chains were snarled and that caused prices to go up. And yeah, that's true on a very temporary basis. In, in 2020, that caused prices to rise. Even in the beginning of 2021, prices you know, stayed elevated because of all the supply chain issues. Except what happened after that? Well, the kinks in the supply chain have been worked out. And there's a couple of different metrics 
Uh, one is by S&P Global, if I remember correctly, and they actually have a supply chain pressures index on, on a global scale. And it shows that things are exactly back to where they were before the pandemic. In other words, there are no additional costs being imposed today because of supply chains compared to 2019. And, and the other thing that shows it doesn't even pass the smell test is that if supply chain problems really were the reason why prices went up, then when the problems went away, prices should have come back down because the thing that caused them to go up went away, except that's not what's happened. Prices went up and then stayed up, and they continue to go up and up and up and up. Now, the rate of increase has slowed, but they're still marching higher. So it's, it's not as if uh, any of these talking points by the administration can really put this, this myth of inflation to bed because it's not a myth. It's very real. And what's sad is that we didn't need the last two and a half years to know this was going to happen because we've lived through it plenty of times before in this country. But it seems like once every one or two generations, we need to relearn the lesson. Okay, so we've come to the part of the conversation where the big question, what do we do about it? That's a great, great question. So in a certain sense, it's, it's really miserable that almost all of America's problems today are self-inflicted wounds. But the silver lining to that cloud is the fact that it is entirely in our power to correct it. Because if we simply remove all of the, the catalysts that have caused these terrible problems, then the problems will go away. And, and we can return to prosperity. It can be morning again in America, as Reagan said, except you know, today, I guess it is morning in America. It's just MOU, whereas with Reagan, it was MO. So you know, if you simply cut the spending, what happens? Treasury doesn't need to borrow billions upon billions of dollars. You know, just how much is Treasury borrowing? Well, last year they had to borrow $1.7 trillion, last fiscal year. This fiscal year, they've estimated they're going to borrow $1.6 trillion in the first half. Not the whole thing, just the first half. They are on track to borrow more than $3 trillion this fiscal year. Well, where are they going to get the money? People don't have the money to, to lend them. The, you know, Unfortunately, a lot of countries around the world are realizing that the dollar is a pretty raw deal, and so are U.S. Treasuries. Anyone who bought U.S. Treasuries before is now getting repaid with dollars worth 17 cents less than they thought they would be. So they're basically getting 83 cents on the dollar. All of these people holding U.S. Treasuries the last two and a half years took a 17% haircut. That's insane. On what's supposed to be the safest asset in the world, give me a break. It's because U.S. Treasuries aren't safe anymore, and they frankly haven't been for quite some time. And, and so who is going to be left to buy these treasuries? There's, there's not enough private money to do so, which means eventually the Federal Reserve is going to have to step in yet again and start buying these things. But when the Federal Reserve buys anything, it doesn't have to be treasuries. It can be literally anything. Where does the money come from? The Fed doesn't actually have any money. This is pretty wild, but their checking account at the Fed has a zero balance. So when they buy something, they use that checking account and the money is literally created to buy it, right? Now, you and I go to jail when we do that because that's called counterfeiting, but for the Fed, it's perfectly legal according to their 1913 charter. So what, what happens is they create the money. Again, it's essentially for Congress to spend. But that devalues the dollar. And then we're right back on the, the inflation roller coaster. So if, if you cut out the spending, sorry, this is a long-winded answer to your question. 
But to make a long story endless, if you cut out the spending, you short circuit that entire mechanism. And now you have removed the political incentive that the Fed has to cause inflation. For those of our listeners who maybe don't work in the White House, what should they do to deal with this problem? Well, for, for those who don't work in the White well, first of all, for those who do work in the White House, I would say resign. But for those who don't, which would be the vast majority of the audience, I think it's really, really important that, that we be involved in this process. You know, it, it's not as if you, your only influence on politicians is at election time. Uh, they can be influenced to do the right thing, provided there's enough political pressure for them to do so, going back to what we talked about earlier with, with incentives. And so we need to make our voices heard. Our, our representatives, our senators, uh, they all need to be very aware that priority number one is cutting the spending right now, because that's the only thing that's going to get us out of this mess. That's the only thing that, that's going to make uh, homes more affordable. That's going to make our paychecks go farther. That's the only thing that's that's going to uh, to help put an end to the the ongoing banking crisis, for example. You know, this is a topic for another time, but believe me, that's not over yet. So, it's imperative again that we get the spending down. And and I'm not talking you know balance the budget in ten years, one of these plans, because those have been impl implemented time and time again. And what happens? We get one or two years into it. We're still running deficits, and then another quote-unquote crisis comes up, and it's another excuse for Congress to just you know blow the lid off the thing and spend even more money. We need to budget. We need to balance the budget, and we need to do it ASAP. And and our representatives need to know that. E.J. Antoni, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you to E.J. Antoni for his contribution to this episode. You can find more on economics by E.J. at heritage.org, or you can follow him on X at Real E.J. Antoni. We've also included in the show notes a link to the PNC Christmas Price Index. As always, thank you for listening to Heritage Explains. If you have any comments, questions, or geese laying to share with our show, of course, you can always send them to heritageexplains at heritage.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Take care. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful holiday season with your friends and family. And we hope to see you back in the new year with Heritage Explains. Take care. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's written and produced by Mark Guiney, Lauren Evans, and John Pop.